back to the Free Thought Project podcast, Freethinkers. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me today is the Free Thought Project Editor-in-Chief, Matt Agarist. Our guest this week is Renette Senum. Renette is running for Governor of California, but you would never know it with the censorship campaign waged against her. She might have more experience than all the other candidates, as she has twice been mayor, twice vice mayor, and was a city council member for years. She isn't running as a Democrat or a Republican, but rather a Californian, and has ample solutions for all social ills California is facing, which is probably why the LA Times and other mainstream publications have targeted her or simply just not said anything at all. Now, I also wanted to note that this was recorded the day before the election and Renette was extremely busy and in the car driving, so the recording had to be edited several times where the call dropped out. But nonetheless, I think you guys will enjoy this conversation, which should put Renette and her work on your radar for future endeavors. All right. Well, welcome to the Free Thought Project podcast, Renette. It's great to finally connect with you and have you on. I've been a lifelong California resident, and I've had several people reach out to me over the past few months telling me we need to do an interview with you. So I'm glad that we finally have you on. And I know you've been in the public eye for years now, as I saw a video of you doing a TED Talk in 2011. Uh, you were also twice a mayor, a two-time vice mayor, and a city council member for years as well. Now, tomorrow is the California primary election and you are running for governor. So I guess we should probably just start with the most obvious question, which is why are you running for governor of California? <laughs> I ask myself that question quite quite often. <laughs> um, actually, I had been elected to my third term for city council back in 2020, but I was uh, one of the only elected officials at the time because I was mayor of Nevada City, California, in Northern California, uh, when COVID hit. and. Um, and when uh, Newsom did his statewide mask mandate, I, I ended up calling him out. I was originally supportive of him, but I began to see a lot of dangerous overreach. And so I called him out quite verbally, um, quite loudly on my Facebook page, and that went viral. And, uh, and of course, I received the, the wrath of God from the L.A. Times and Sacramento Bee and SFGate and so on. Um, and I wasn't calling out the efficacy of, of masks, but I was calling out his overreach and that this would be a, a slippery slope. So um, and at that point in time, I had just won my third election and um, uh, I was waiting for some backlash from other, other elected officials. I was waiting for people to speak up against this and it was really quite amazingly silent. And so I waited for a few more months to see what the uh, elected officials and other representatives would do. And everybody was just folding. Everybody was just caving. Nobody was questioning authority or the official narrative or the data that was coming in. And from what I could tell, the data was actually um, supportive of, of, of us reopening and going back to life and just focusing on those who are most vulnerable. And instead, we just were, you know, 
being exposed to more and more um, draconian measures. So uh, the recall was coming up. I was on Dell Big Trees, the high wire, and I had people around the state asking me to run for governor. And I said, absolutely not. That's never going to happen. And I said to them, I said, look, at, I said, you know, this governorship, I'm, I'm willing to run, but there's two important requisites uh, before I would run. First and foremost, no party affiliation you cannot serve the people in the party simultaneously right now. Uh, and that is due to the 2010 Supreme Court decision known as uh, Citizens United versus the Federal Elections Commission, where they've allowed big, dark corporate money to go in now and spend tons of money on candidates. And ever since then, we've lost our representative government. So there's that. So no party affiliation. That comes with its own challenges, but it allows me to actually represent the people. And then the other piece was um, as a uh, a 20-year-long uh, community activist, council person, mayor. I had been asking over the years, exactly how do we measure our leadership? Like, what's our guiding light? And how do we know we're, we're doing a good job? And so what I did was, in order for me to run for governor, I said, I'll run, but I want to fold something in to my campaign called the Seventh Generation Principle, which is every decision we make today should serve seven generations from now. And that should be the measurement of all of our leadership and our decision-making, whether you're elected official or just you know, an average Californian. And, and so that comes from actually uh, our constitution had been inspired by the six nations of the Iroquois Confederacy. Most people don't know that. Uh, off and on for seven years, Benjamin Franklin spent a lot of time with the Iroquois and they had what was called uh, the great law of peace. And this great law of peace is what inspired the constitution. Uh, but interestingly enough, the Iroquois did point out to our forefathers that they had a couple um, fatal flaws. The first was that, that compass I was talking about, right? That uh, every vessel should have that compass, which is that seven generation principle. But the anchor that they were leaving out was that we should not be locking away our elders in the retirement homes, but actually have them participate in our decision making. And they draw upon the last few generations to ensure for the next seven. So once the team said, yeah, that sounds great to us, we started working on it. Uh, back in October of 2020, we started working on what's called the contract with Californians. It's actually, I'm the only candidate who has an actual blueprint for California out of this mess. And uh, it's a living document. It's been improving over time, uh, according to the incredible collective genius I keep running uh, into uh, up and down the campaign trail. And uh, what we've done is we created this economy based upon restoration and healing, which is what this planet and this state needs more than anything. And so uh, we're 24 hours away now from, from this uh, primary election, which most Californians do not know is the most important election in the history of California. And the media, for the most part, is pretty silent about it. Yeah, they definitely are. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> I mean, right. I'm in Louisiana, right? But um, I did know that uh, that it is a, you know, we want to get Gavin Newsom out of there. He's become a tyrant since COVID began, you know. I mean, California was one of the worst places for COVID, uh, you know. And I mean, not for like the actual disease, right? But for the, the COVID tyranny that, that was right. uh, doled out by these politicians. I remember... Um, at, and at one point, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's still this this way, is that more people died from opioid overdoses than they did from actual COVID, at least in some spots like San Francisco and uh, and, and L.A. Yeah, um, the, yeah the, the, the fentanyl, the suicides, I mean, all this, it's just when you really look at the pure COVID cases, it just doesn't match up. And so I've been telling people this has nothing to do with our health. It's not about health. It's about control, data collection, surveillance. Uh, the digital passport. It's this is, uh, you know, and I, I'm just going to be very frank. This is about, you know, you know, the, the World Economic Forum, the Davos Group, the CCP, you know, the Chinese Communist Party. 
they're all in cahoots with each other and they're really coming in for California especially. And I tell people this is a war. It's a silent war. It's a sophisticated war. It's a war based upon a lot of disinformation and psychological warfare, but it is a war and California is the front lines, whether you want to admit it or not. And if we lose California, I don't care where you live in, in the United States, it's not going to be a pretty sight for anybody. No, I mean, we've seen what's happened just the last few years. The homelessness has gotten far worse. They're spending more money on fighting it allegedly than any, bef you know, than ever before. And uh, I mean, it doesn't doesn't seem to be going anywhere. You know, uh, there's a I listened to a, one of the other candidates who are who's running for uh, for governor of California on the Rogan show, um, Michael Schellenberger. Right. He has like a pretty wild uh, like pretty it's not just wild it's it sounds like it could be pretty radical itself you know but i mean i'm like man what is the solution to that what do you do with these people that are you know that like it's it's just running rampant living on the streets you know hundreds of thousands of people in the state that's what right. do you do with that like well you know there, there are answers and it doesn't have to be tyrannical um okay so first and foremost uh, as governor this is what i would do i would actually declare a state of emergency because it's not just a houseless homeless pro problem it's a humanitarian crisis. We have tens of thousands of people who are actually in crises who cannot take care of themselves. They're never going to, for the majority of them, are never going to get themselves out of their homelessness unless there's some serious assistance. So what we do to get going, to get the ball rolling, is we declare that state of emergency. Then we go out there and we loosen the building codes around the commercial buildings, many of them in which are, are empty right now because of COVID, and we actually do massive retrofits on them. So we don't have to bother breaking ground and taking all that time for that. We do retrofits to actually create enough mental health facility, drug, alcohol, rehabilitation centers, interim housing as well, low-income housing. While we're doing that, at the same time, we reach out to what's called the continuum of care. I used to sit on this. Every county, most counties in California have continuum of care, which is basically all the different orgs and agencies. They come together and they meet every month and try to stay on the same page. So we, we tap into that get their most recent data. We tap into the other shelters, homeless shelters, get their data. And we began a triage on the streets. Uh, we do that by actually going out there and assisting those who are at the most risk to themselves and those around them, whether it's businesses or residences. We get them into the facilities and we get them the wraparound services that they need. Also at the same time, we reach out to those who are just down on their luck. They've lost their home or their job or whatever right and they're living in the rv or they're living on the streets and they're just you know they've hit hard times so what we do is we make sure that we go get them into the interim low-income uh, housing interim housing i should say you know fast tracking the retrofitting of these commercial buildings and then we go out there and we identify the individuals through this triage on the streets who are just down on their luck once we do that then we get them into the interim housing and then we identify what jobs do they want to pursue and we get them the reskilling they need. Once we get that going and they're reskilled, then we, we then go and we identify permanent housing for them as well as job placement as well. So we do that. Now there's something else that's really important to understand. And that is, is that I've had people say, well, it's not fair. You can't take people off the streets. It's unconstitutional. It's unconstitutional if you do not provide these individuals an actual place to go. Now, when we talk about what is being offered by some of the candidates, it does sound rather tyrannical, to be honest. But there are some models out there that are really beautiful, really humane, and they give the options that these individuals deserve. So one of them is actually a, a beautiful model out of San Antonio, Texas, called the Haven for Hope. And what they have is 22 acres 
And in the center of these 22 acres, they actually have uh, this center of over 180 different nonprofits. And the reason why they have this is because realistically, those who are homeless don't know what day it is many times. They don't have cars or access to get on a bus or go over and you know have certain appointments for their for their food stamps or EBT or for therapy or for AA. They just don't. So this Haven for Hope, what they have going is they have essentially one-stop shopping for the homeless. So this homeless shelter has all over 180 different NGOs. It's therapy, it's drug rehabilitation, it's AA, it's actually, you know, job placement, reskilling, you know, growing your own food and gardens, all these different things. So you can participate, be housed, have a place to stay, get fed, get your wraparound services. Or if you're like, no, I want nothing to do with this, there's 22 acres. And what they're doing in San Antonio is they're saying, basically, you can no longer sleep under the overpasses, sleep on the streets and the sidewalks. You can go on this 22 acres and you can find a place to camp there. And if you ever change your mind and decide, okay, you want services and you no longer want to be homeless, then you walk into the center of that property and you get the help that you want. Hmm. That's a that actually, really cool model. I didn't, I'm, I didn't know that that was a, a thing in San Antonio. Right. And so, you know, the thing is that some people just may want to... Um, they just may want to stay homeless. Okay. But allowing this to fester and it is festering on the streets, mm-hmm. right? The, the drug, the, the addiction, the, the crime, it's very unsafe, especially women. It's not uncommon for a woman to get raped every single night as homeless. I wish I was exaggerating, but I'm not. And so we've got to counter this. And if we expect that the homeless situation is going to just naturally clean itself up. It's not. We're going to have generational homelessness. And you're always going to have those who are going to be transient. And somebody wants to kind of come through town and, you know, work their way or, you know, jump on a train and go to another town, then fine. So be it. But to actually park yourself on the sidewalks, squatting there for eternity is no longer an option for anybody. These folks are in crises. And the longer they're out there, the worse off they become. Right. Well, I mean, to my understanding, doesn't the current administration kind of incentivize people to go to California to be homeless? Don't you get like a stipend and you can just do whatever you want and never. Yeah. You're accountable to anything. The the homeless are making like $600 a month. So we're, we're just bringing them in. And I have to say something. What we're experiencing is a very sophisticated war. This is this is the art of war. Uh, we are being destroyed from the inside out through the overtaxation, the inflation, cost of living, through the degradation of our towns and centers and our businesses, um, and 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 inviting the homeless to come in here to essentially pay them six hundred dollars a month to squat everywhere is it's like can you just make matters worse? So uh, we have to have a program in place too where we can identify the individuals. And have a cutoff. What that cutoff is, is up for further debate. But it's like you have to live in California for like three to five years or something like that, right? Otherwise, we're going to give you a bus ticket back home to your 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 place, your last known place of residence. And we'll send you a bus ticket back home. And we'll give your, you know, we'll send you with a little homeless manual. And, you know, so you'll go home. We'll give them a little manual. Say, hey, you guys, if you're having an issue with this. Here's a manual. Take care of your own homeless. Uh, but right now we have elected officials who are not here to serve the people. They're not here to serve their oath. From what I can tell, they're serving the CCP or some other masters or the WEF. I don't know. Pick a, pick a, pick a villain. And, and they're trying to destroy California from the inside out. And they're doing a damn good job. Yes, they are. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, I could say from experience, you know, I've lived in Sacramento and in this area uh, for about four years now. And two of those years were obviously through COVID and things have certainly escalated as far as homelessness on the streets in my area. And, you know, let's be honest, if this was about a virus, half those people wouldn't even be there. This is due to right. government policies and government laws. And, you know, it is such a complex situation. Uh, I'm glad to hear that it's something that you've thought out, Renan, and actually have a game plan for, because it feels like there's just a hopelessness when it comes to the subject of poverty and it comes to homelessness. Nobody really knows how to envision a solution or a plan to fix it. And, uh, you know, it, it just seems to be getting worse as we continue to, to mention here. Well, you know, ironically, um, I have this this contract with Californians. It's nearly a thirty page document. It's 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 all solution based, and it's dealing with our economy. It's dealing with the overtaxation. It's dealing with the homelessness. It's dealing with the fact that we have a government that's really making a lot of money off of disaster capitalism. And what's really amazing is that the level of censorship that this campaign has endured is something that the Bolsheviks would be proud of. Um, we can no longer even send out bla email blasts out any longer. Those don't get to the destination. We've been trying to do Google and Facebook and Instagram ads, they're like, oh, no, we don't do political ads. We're like, yes, you do. We're looking at them. Uh, you know, I mean, even our own um, private uh, instant messages and messages to one another on the different platforms don't get to their destination. And so what we have is this wholesale censorship of an, an actual candidate who has 20 years you know, on the ground, in the trenches, experienced more than any other candidate, and maybe all the candidates combined, uh, have, has actually served as a, as a sitting uh, elected official. I, I've done this as a career, but I never got paid. So I did it, but it was all volunteer, right? So I'm not really a typical career politician. And what we have is this wholesale attempt to absolutely silence the one the one candidate who actually laid out a 30-page contract in California. Like, here it is. I want you to know what you're voting for. And so everything that we've been talking about, there's a solution. But we have elected officials who are obviously serving a different matter, master who's trying to destroy California and the United States from the inside out. And they're doing it through the art of war. Just like It's really, we're being um, exposed to a death by a thousand cuts. It's not like one single solid bullet getting us, but just a series of bullets, right? Just taking us down. And um, and a lot of people are making money off of this disaster, these disasters, right? Homelessness is a big moneymaker, believe it or not. Catastrophic mm -hmm. fires are a big, in our force, are big moneymakers. And we've got people who are making a lot of money off of our our pain and suffering. Towers of uh, the, the fire is a moneymaker for like like broken windows type deal where the uh, contractors it, it, come it, in. It's money because there's much more money in fire suppression than there is in fire prevention. Once a fire starts, we just uh, throw hundreds of millions of dollars to the fire. Prevention, you know, you got to be methodical and, you know, it's it's not the big moneymaker and you've got certain budgets. But when a fire happens, it's like, go, everyone, throw them on my eye. You know, it's just like all hell breaks out and they throw all this money. So the, 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 the you know, incentive is not to stop the fires in the first place. And by the way, we've got we've got solutions for that too. I can jump into that one if you like. But the, you know, what's happening is we have a system in government and elected officials and lobbyists and big industries who are like, no, 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 we love the fire suppression because that's where cha-ching, cha-ching the money really is. Yeah, same thing with, uh, that's what I've heard about the homelessness too, is that some of these people are making upwards of a million dollars a year and to get paid to, you know, to fix the problem. But if right. they fix the problem, then they don't get that million dollars a year. So they're essentially farming homeless people. That's, uh... exact, that's exactly it. And so when it comes to the forests, 
again, there's all these models of success around us. And I'm like, how is everyone not able to see these things? Does anybody just do a little online research at the very least? And so we have another great example with our forests. There's something called the Rio Grande Water Fund. Water funds have been around for decades, but more around the world in South America, less uh, also in the East Coast, but now it's, it's starting to gain, gain traction here on the West Western United States. But what it is, is for, for example, the Rio Grande Water Fund in 2011, they had catastrophic fires in the headwaters of the Rio Grande. And after that, they're like, okay, we, we never want to go through this again because after the fire, they had catastrophic rain and it's just this deluge of debris and ash and everything that was just destroying industries downriver, shutting down water treatment plants. And it was hundreds of millions of dollars of damage. So like, okay, we're never going to have to go through that again. So what they did is they decided to start a water fund. And what they did is they went and through GIS mapping, they identify identified the the, the the thickest underbrush, the most you know steep slopes, the humidity of the land, um, you know, the, the, the most um, high risk areas of the headwaters. And they're looking at hundreds of millions of acres, square square miles of acres. And what they did is they went down to all the businesses and the industries and the cities and counties and said, hey, look it, we want you to invest in the restoration of the of the headwaters upstream so that when we do have fires, they're the healthy fires, not the catastrophic unhealthy fires. So they went from 3,000 acres a year in that, that respective area of, of restoration and they they're now in tens and tens of thousands of, of square uh miles of of clearing and they use everything from cultural burns to grazing animals to uh you know hand crews it's a whole combination and they've now had fires go through there those areas they restored and they're the healthy fires they're the good fires so here we are in california and we have Newsom who's given hundreds of millions of dollars. And what do we see for it? Nothing. Somebody pocketed the money. Mm -hmm. That's one of the most frustrating things because, I mean, there's there's scientists all across the country that speak out, you know, and, and like environmental scientists who tell, you know, how to how to manage these wildfires and how to, you know, because you do it with prevention. You don't do it with suppression, like you said. That's right. how we do in Louisiana down here. Like we they have controlled burns. They clear out the underbrush. That's like a a massive part of forest maintenance, you know, that, that right. keep the fires from, and it's just so frustrating watching California do that. It's amazing that, that Gavin Newsom is the, con, like the lead contender for, for governor of California. I mean, well, the dude you know, is like a slime ball. I mean, but, he's, a, but, but, okay, so, let, so let's talk about that. Okay. Let's talk about what's going on. Uh, what I've learned in the last few months is absolutely astounding. So first and foremost, this primary, it's tomorrow. It's only a few hours away. Is the most important election in the history of California. And the media has been absolutely complicit in underreporting it. Why? Okay. So we have two elections. You have the primary election, right, in June in California. And then we have the general election in November. The primary election, right now we have 26 uh, candidates who are running for governor. And what the media always does is they underplay the importance and they underreport the, the stories of an upcoming primary. Why? Well, there's this rule of thumb, and I've experienced it on the campaign trail, and it's true. That is that 80% of people agree with 90% of the issues. 80% of people agree with 90% of the issues. But the problem is this. When the primary happens, the 80%ers barely know. They're not invested. They don't know who the candidates are. They've barely heard about it. And so they don't vote. Who votes are the two extremes on the left and the right. The most extremes are the, always the ones who show up the primary. And what do they do? They basically hit the ball up at the net. So then here comes the general election a few months later, 
here come the 80 percenters who agree on most everything. And they're looking at the two candidates and they're like, what? These are my options. I got to pick the lesser of the two evils again. Why? Because you didn't vote in the primary. And so the media has barely been covering the primary. Like, you know, last year when we had the recall in California, all you heard about was Larry Elders and Caitlyn Jenner. You couldn't escape it. This time it's nothing except for when they do have reporting. This is how they frame it. Primary's coming up and Newsom has no competition. Primary's coming up and these guys are California dreaming if they think they're gonna compete against Newsom. Yeah, there's a primary, but basically Newsom's already won. I saw that LA Times ran a story the other day. Uh, their long shot California dream beating well, okay. Gavin Newsom. So, like, so let's, okay, okay, so let's talk about that. <laughs> so we have a guy by the name of Dr. Patrick Soon Siong. He's South African, uh, Chinese descent, speaks Han from South Africa. He owns the San Diego Union Tribune. He also owns the LA Times. So about three weeks ago, I filled out a Q&A for the candidates. They were requesting candidates to do a Q&A. I was six of, uh, one of six candidates out of the 26 who did the Q&A. They put it in the paper. They made me, um, I had to retract a piece where I was calling out BlackRock and all of their usurping and purchasing of homes to take off the market forever. And they're like, oh, no, BlackRock called us. And they said, basically, they don't buy homes. They build them. I'm like, no, they don't. They're buying up housing stock across the whole entire nation. Here's Wall Street Journal. Here's all these articles. Nope, they made me retract it. But what happened was then a couple of weeks later, here comes the LA Times. And they do this, oh, like, you know, California dreaming. Here, here are the most active candidates. And of all those six candidates that had actually done the Q&A in San Diego, remember, these both these papers are owned by the same guy. Mm-hmm. And what do they do? They completely leave me out in the LA Times. And what they do is they create these, it's just mostly, it's all Republicans except for Michael Schellenberger. And they left me out because you know what? I would actually be the best and a real option against Newsom. I'm the one that actually has the best going. Like real, a real comprehensive plan and solutions. And what do they do? They completely ignore me. And they say, these are the most active candidates. I'm like, that's amazing. Because I've been campaigning for six months. I've clocked about 20,000 miles on my car going up and down the state. I actually am having regular town halls online. I've gone to hundreds and hundreds of big events, small events, living room events, backyard events. I'm like, you look at my Instagram account. I mean, like we are highly active and engaged. And they left me out. Why? Because I didn't fit the narrative that they're trying to sell to the public, which is basically it's either all these Republicans or Newsom. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this Patrick, this Dr. Patrick Sung Siong, who is he? He has a COVID vaccine. He's, he's, he's a big pharma guy. He has a COVID vaccination he wants to push. He has been sued over and over and over again. He also has uh, some medication. He's trying to compete against a, a, a generic, uh, like dollar, you know, a pill, uh, a cancer treatment. And he's trying to get that eradicated so he can put his, you know, extreme, uh, extremely expensive medicine out there, medication out there for cancer. And so this guy is literally a CCP foot soldier who is doing the bidding for China and framing this information, misinforming, disinforming the public. And they did that. So when I had people saying, Renette, why aren't you a contender? Why aren't we hearing about you? I said, well, because you have people like this Dr. Patrick, you know, Soon Siong, who is absolutely censoring uh, the real candidates who are, who are actually contenders. And they knew who I was. I was. I was in the San Diego Tribune, but they decided to delete me for the LA Times. Yeah, this is the same paper that called Larry Elder the white face of, I mean, the black face of white supremacy. Yeah, 
How can anybody even take them seriously with stuff like that? It's just, it blows well, my mind. They're, they're losing a lot of readers. I mean, people are just disgusted with them. They can, you know, they still have influence, unfortunately. But this is what I say to people like you guys, we're to a point where you've got to look at who is funding these candidates. You've got to look who's endorsing these candidates. And you have to look behind the, the, the funders of those who are being, you know, who are doing the endorsing. Um, this not only goes for the Democrats and Republicans now, but we even have a declined the state candidate who was a Democrat in the recall, but is now a no party affiliation. And they're backed up by big money, like they're a Democrat, big old money, but they're a decline to state. They're no party affiliation, but they're still being backed up like they're a Democrat. And so this is the most important election. And this is the other thing people have to understand. People were thinking that, that, that Newsom is a shoe in because he's like, was so popular. Uh, 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 out of 40 million Californians, 22 million of them are actually registered to vote. In the 2018 primary of the 22 million voters, registered voters, only 7 million voted. Out of the 7 million who voted, only 2.3 million voted for Newsom. At the wow. height of his popularity, at the height of his popularity, he got 2.3 million votes out of 40 million people, 22 million registered voters. After that was John Cox was 1.7 million and the rest were spread out over the other candidates. So we're saying to people, it's like, look at guys, this is not about, oh, it's just one person winning against Newsom in the primary. We can just get rid of Newsom. But if we're going to have low voter turnout and we're not going to have people in the middle who generally don't vote in the primary actually vote in the primary, then your insurance is going to be going to the, to the general. And at that point in time, it's already a sure thing he's already won. It's like you, not, no one's going to fight him then. So the best thing is to get all those individuals who are listening to this interview right now. And if you, if you think that your vote doesn't count, it doesn't count if you don't vote. And you have to understand the reason why the media is disenfranchising people and trying to discourage them from voting is because the more people who vote, the more difficult it is to rig an election. The fewer people who vote, who don't vote, or there's the fewer, the fewer people who do vote, right? So if you have less people voting, the easier it is to rig. Yeah, it sounds like the media spins the narrative and all the ones who soak that narrative up like it's the truth are the ones that go out and vote. And so they're easy to control and everybody else just stays complacent. Right. And, and, and then also if you want to, if you want to manipulate the numbers, you know, if you, if you have 22 million people voting, that means you have to like, you have to stuff that many more ballots, right? You need that many more mules. You need that much more manipulation. But if you only have like 3 million, 4 million people voting, it's much easier to manipulate the numbers. And yeah, let's also not forget, you know, this is a common media practice and pattern. You know, the longer that you pay attention, the more you observe it. The media will always tell you who to love and who to hate. They'll never mention anybody in between, uh -uh. right? And no. the same thing goes for ideology. Same thing goes for policy. And most of the solutions that are actually out there, you'll never hear the media talk about volunteerism. And, uh, you know, so there, there's a reason for that. But uh, well, well, can I just add that's also oh, really yeah. fascinating, and that is is that so we have uh, Senator Dolly, Brian Dolly, who's actually my senator in my area. Uh, he was the one who got the uh, GOP endorsement, and it was he got it because his wife, who's an assemblywoman, uh, she bribed them forty thousand dollars. She paid the GOP forty thousand dollars to basically make him the RNC, you know, choice. And and what's happened is now what what. Um, what Newsom is doing is Newsom is just repeating Dolly's name over. The Republicans don't even like Dolly. Nobody knew who Dolly was just a few weeks ago, right? But what's sure. happening is is a Newsom is using him as, oh my gosh, if I don't get elected, this Republican Dolly's gonna get it. He's gonna be in Dolly, 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 Dolly. Well, we know Dolly's not a competition for this guy at all, right? But what it is is that those who don't know this are reading this going, oh no. Oh, no, this Dolly Republican's going to get in if I don't vote for Newsom. And so, you know, you, you as a candidate do not repeat the name 
over and over and over again of your competition. You don't give them that free advertising unless you're trying to spin something and get a certain reaction. And that's what Newsom and the media are doing right now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that makes total sense. Definitely along the lines of uh, what I was mentioning. So are, are you ready to laugh a little bit? Because I, I have something here. It's quite humorous. I would uh, love to. <laughs> speaking of the scumbag, uh, Gavin Newsom, in mid-May, he proposed a $18.1 billion inflation relief package. <laughs> because, <laughs> because relief packages, billion dollar relief packages is how we fight inflation. What are your thoughts on this, Renette? Uh, more smoke and mirrors. Uh, if he really wanted to uh, help us with inflation, he would go and advocate and tell Biden to get a grip of reality and stop clogging and shutting off all of our oil, right? That's one big problem with inflation is like gas is the basis of everything, you know, you know supplies and, and uh, gasoline and you know, diesel and so on. So there's that. And um, so we, you know, I'd go and advocate and tell Biden, to, you know, you know, open up the pipelines again while we try to find some other alternative energy sources. In the meantime, one of the best things we could to reduce the cost of living, which again is in my contract with Californians, is to do a massive certified third party certified financial and operational audit on everything state related. And I would start with the biggest budgets and do massive audits on them and stop this economic bleed. We are hemorrhaging billions and billions of dollars every year out of the state of California. And we never see that money in action. And so if we want to reduce the overhead and the cost of living and the taxation, then reduce the, the, the financial bleed. Once that happens, then you'll be reducing the cost of everything across the board. So Newsom, he's not here to make California a better state. He is here by design to destroy us from the inside out and to hand us over to something else. And they're doing a fabulous job. Yeah, doesn't is it isn't California still in a state of emergency for COVID? Has he? Oh has yeah. He given it? Oh no. Oh yeah. No. That's <laughs> neither has Biden. They're not going to give that up. Are you kidding? I know that's that's ridiculous though. Like I mean, everything. I I, I know um, that it's still pretty terrible over there, but everything's like like pretty much opening up and everything, right? Well, how, no, no, how... no, 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 no. Now Alameda County's like we're masking up again. Um, oh, LA really? is like we're masking up again. We have schools masking up again. And, and and let me tell you, two years ago, we saw the World Economic Forum playbook. We saw the WHO playbook. And they were saying, this was two years ago. We were calling this out two years ago. It says that before the primaries and before the elections in 2022, they're going to loosen up everything. And as soon as they get through the primaries, they're going to start ratcheting down again, but push in a digital ID. And, and here we are. They're now already, we're not even, elections are tomorrow. The official day is tomorrow, right? Ballots are sent out in a month in advance. That's a whole other story. But basically, the election is officially tomorrow. They're already ratcheting down. And we're wow. like, for what? Why, why, are you, why are you doing this to the children? We know for a fact that children, all they do is they backslide socially, mentally, emotionally from these masks. We don't know what kind of psychological long-term damage it's going to do. Children are not carriers. They're not vectors. They're not going to go home and kill grandma and grandpa. So why are you actually subjecting these children to psychological warfare? These masks do nothing but make them and dehumanize them. This is horrific. And we have parents and teachers in schools who are pushing this onto them. It's like, have you all lost your souls? Yeah, that's. And I read a study today in the journal Medicine that actually showed that, uh, or that found that uh, masks may have contributed to the uh, the fatality, a higher fatality rate. A German doctor um, found it was called the Foegen effect. It's F O E G E O N, I think, and. Um, 
they found that like they he studied a bunch of counties in Kansas because the state allowed like counties to set their own mask mandates. So they they studied all the counties and they found like a positive correlation with a higher instance of uh, a higher case rate mortality rate with COVID in the counties that, that uh, mandated masks. Uh, and, I'm not I'm not surprised by that. I know. And it's 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 just and it's I mean, there's there's a pile of evidence that shows the the that masks don't work. And I mean, it's just it's I can't well, believe that that's still a thing. You well, know, well, like the, the, <laughs> the thing is, is that they actually do work. They work beautifully. They separate us. They divide us. They keep us in fear. They constantly remind us COVID, 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 be afraid, right? They dehumanize us. Right. There's actually a form of psychological torture. They are. And so when people say masks don't work, I say, oh, yes, they do. They work beautifully. For those who are in power want to do, they're working beautifully. doesn't make sense to us because we're coming at it from the virus side, the health side. But those in power are not. They're coming at it from the divide and conquer side. We actually covered an article uh, at the end of May. Epidemiologists find potential link between COVID lockdowns and a rise in violent youth. And when you look at the numbers that the FBI has reported from active shooter incidents, they've soared since 2020. Oh yeah, uh, they've, they've gone up at least threefold. And uh, you know, people are saying it, it's because I mean, at least these experts in this article are saying it's potentially driven by severing the social contract the social bonds, uh, the support normally operational in a functional society, and the constant mask wearing uh, may have broken the mind and severed the human connection for, for many people who are already suffering from mental health issues. So, I mean, there's that connection as well, which seems just as ominous, if not well, worse. Well, and I have to agree 100%. Let me tell you an example of what I've seen that was really quite frightful to me is that years ago, I remember seeing in China, um, a surveillance camera of a little toddler going out onto a little street and she got ran over by a cart and was just sitting there splayed on the, on the, on the street. Right. And here were all these adults walking back and forth and not even looking at her like she was, you know, a, 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 you know, a squirrel run over. Right. I mean, they just walked oh by this God. little girl and she was still moving, but she was obviously highly, highly injured. Right. I remember and, that. And did you remember seeing that? Yeah, and, 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 and they just ignored her. Okay, so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, there's China for you. Why they've been dehumanized? Well, then a few months ago, I am watching, um, I am watching a uh, video surveillance camera of inside a gymnasium where it looked like it was probably more like freshmen going around in a big circle, walking around, exercising. And this one 13, 14 year old boy kind of goes off towards the bleachers and he falls over and he just starts convulsing. and his friends are just walking by him, barely giving him a time of day. And they just kept walking around in a circle. And then a teacher comes running over and starts doing CPR on him. I don't think he lived, but they're just walking by him. Like he's a scrap of food or something. And like the boy just killed over on his face is convulsing. Obviously something serious is happening. And they're, and I'm like, this is looking a lot like China. <laughs> and that's what's, that seems to be happening more and more. And I think that, that is also one of the factors in in these you know in these recent mass shootings. These kids were 16 years old when COVID started, and their last two years of their lives were, uh, you know, under yes. this under these conditions, which t certainly had an effect on their on their psyche. 
Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And and so when we're wondering what's going on. Well, if you think that the school shootings are bad now, just you wait. And, um, you know, right. you can talk about, you know, taking away our guns, but it doesn't matter if somebody's psychologically not doing well, they'll find something else, you know, right. to use as a weapon. And that's the reality. So we're in a mental health crisis and we've been dehumanized and separated. And, oh, in the 1950s, the it was Amnesty International. And what they did is they looked at different despots and dictators to find out how they're able to brainwash and coerce prisoners of war. And what they discovered was there's like basically eight simple steps. The first and foremost, the, the most important step is isolation. Just 24 hours of isolation can cause permanent damage to a person's psyche. After that, it's humiliation. The next step is arbitrary laws, rules, right? Arbitrary enforcement, on again, off again, on again, off again. Um, humiliation is another one. Of course, I said that. Uh, omnipotence, um, which is, you know, I've got my mask on or I'm vaccinated, you're not. Um, the other one is, oh, disinformation, control of the narrative. So when you look down the list of the Biden's chart of coercion, the whole entire planet has been a prisoner of war. We've all yeah. been su subjected to psychological warfare, according to Amnesty International and the Biden's chart of coercion. Sure. It's a play it's a playbook. Yeah, I mean if you if you look at uh any types of lists as far as like domestic abuse or oh, yeah. you know, I mean we're basically in an abusive relationship with government. I mean, you know, they use coercion and threats, they use intimidation, isolate. Yeah. I mean, everything you basically just mentioned. I Googled uh the that the vitamins chart of coercion after you said it and mm -hmm. yeah, the isolation deprive victim of all social support and their ability yeah. to resist. Yeah. And then monopolization of perception, which is yeah. like uh, eliminate information, not in yeah. compliance with them. Yeah. It's, yeah. That is fucking crazy. Yeah. Weakened no, mental is... and physical ability to resist, create anxiety and despair. Yeah. yeah. Like that's. No, uh... we, this is, this is, a, we are global prisoners of war. We have been subjected to what prisoners of war in actual wartime have been subjected to, but on a global scale. And our leaders are the ones who are subjecting it to it. And that includes. That includes Biden, and that includes Newsom. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think I figured out why they uh, they're not promoting you at all. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're saying you're saying some dangerous stuff right now, Renette. Right. It's I know. Dangerous to the establishment. Truth, yeah. Truth is danger. So this is why uh, this is why they have. I mean, they've gone. I mean, the level of censorship. The fact that we can't even do like instant private messages to one another. We can't send out our email list, right? Uh, we can't do Google ads or Facebook ads when the other candidates can. I mean, it's really it's shocking what they have not allowed us to do. Which tells me that I am the most dangerous candidate because I'm actually speaking the truth and I've got solutions. Everything we have to turn the state around, we, we've got it. The only thing we're lacking is the leadership. For so. Sure. Um, a few minutes ago, you mentioned, um, you know, we're, we're really in, embroiled right now in the news cycle when it comes to gun control, uh, gun right. rights. Uh, what do you envision the government's role should be when it comes to the idea of uh, limiting mass shootings and, and gun control? Well, they're, they're entangled and yet they're separate. Okay, so when it comes to gun control, you know, um, Naomi Wolf, Dr. Naomi Wolf of DailyCloud.io, she did a great job of talking about the second amendment was really meant for. And we've been looking at letters from our forefathers discussing the, um, the creation of the second amendment. And, and they were actually even considering allowing cannons. 
mm-hmm. cannons. So it had nothing to do with hunting and, and so on. It actually is as having enough firepower to compete against your government. Now I've had people say, Renette, our government would never turn on us. Our government, da da da. You know, our government's not doing anything to us. I'm like, you know, <laughs> and, and our government would never, our government would never do these things, Renette. I'm like, you're right. Your government never would, but your government is dead. It's been dead for a long time and something else has taken it over. So you're right, your gov- your actual government wouldn't do that, but you don't have your government any longer. So there's that piece. Now, when it comes to the second amendment, can we do background checks? Sure, waiting for a couple of weeks, sure, we can do all that. But I'm still gonna say that if I am so psychologically traumatized and suffering, and I wanna go out there and kill a bunch of people, I don't need a gun. In England, they don't have guns. Instead, they use bombs and cars and knives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I can do the same thing here. So really, we are in a mental health crisis. We have young people who don't have parental help. They aren't getting the therapy. They're on tons of psychological drugs, psych drugs that are, we don't, God knows what they're doing to them. We have programs out there who I only know what they're doing to these young people to turn them into these lone wolves. I and mean, there's a lot going on. And so, you know, to sit there and go, well, we need a single entry point for schools and well, a single entry point could also be a cage for children too, if they're trying to outrun uh, an active shooter for God's sake. And if you wanna go after the children, then you can just you know grab your car and get them in a crosswalks. I mean, this is not gonna solve the problem, that's a Band-Aid. We have children who are no longer being raised by parents, they're being raised by social media, violent games, you know, the school system, which is absolutely indoctrinating them. And now they're being treated like chattel with a mask over their faces, being dehumanized, what? do we expect? So we need to start caring for children. We need to start supporting parents. We actually need to teach parents because we're now several generations into parents who actually don't know how to parent. They don't the basic skills that we're several generations in where we, we've lost the ability to parent. And I'm going to give you an example here, you guys. So do you know who Dr. Gabor Mate is? He wrote mm-hmm. in, the, in the realm of hungry ghosts. He's a uh, uh, he's a homeless advocate up in Vancouver area. He talks about how our first trauma starts in the womb when we're being carried by, carried by our mother. Um, but what was really fascinating. He said this, and I was like, oh my gosh, he's so spot on. He was talking to this, sharing this anecdote of in Vancouver, they have a Vancouver aquarium and they had this beluga female whale that was whale that was born in captivity like 12 years before. And then she gave birth to her own baby beluga whale and the birth went perfectly fine. But within a matter of just a few days, the baby's health began to fail and it began to, you know, basically essentially start dying. The mother whale did not know what to do. The handlers, the experts, nobody knew what to do. So out of desperation, they took the last female beluga whale born in the wild, put her into the aquarium. She began to teach the mother how to mother and the baby's health turned around in a matter of a few days. Wow. So I'm going to add another piece to this that Gabor Monte never spoke to. My generation, I'm 56, my generation was the first latchkey generations. I have older parents, so it did not happen to me, but it happened to my, my peers. And as they would go home to an empty house, neither parent would be there, right? In my opinion, that generation, my generation, Generation X, was the first generation to be born in the aquarium. And every subsequent generation, the door to the wild is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And right now, we barely have a sliver left to the wild, to our grandparents, to tradition and our roots and everything that came before that keeps us stable, that keeps us connected, that has us actually understand where we belong in the story and have a sense of place and a sense of self. And when you lose a sense of self, you are very easily programmed and manipulated, which is exactly what the system wants right now. 
Yeah, that's and a good point. Yeah, no, no, no. So all, you know, like I'm a gay woman. I've been in a partnership for 14 years, right? If somebody wants to be transgender, good, that's fine. But you don't do it in schools. You don't do it in elementary school because why? It's not age appropriate. That'd be like teaching driver's ed to 10-year-olds. Would <laughs> you do that? No, it's not age appropriate. Pushing transgender information and this ideology onto children when they should be out in this out in the woods, running up and down, jumping in and out of trees, and you know, learning how to socialize. The gender the gender conversation is not appropriate for that appropriate for that age, but it's being forced on them. Why? So when they become adults, they're going to be so confused, they'll be easily controlled. Yeah, yeah. those who know the least obey the best, right? Right. We were talking about that this morning, this what this desire is to go after children with, you know, with all this sexualization and 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 like the I mean, of course, that's everybody has a right to do that. But the, the desire to start telling children about, you know, sexuality and, and non-binary uh, sexuality at such a young age is is ominous to me. It's wrong. You know? It's just wrong. It's, it's meant to confuse them. And, you know, and I mean, I like my partner, you know, she had a daughter who was this little tomboy, would only wear boys' pants, would never wear a dress. I mean, just wouldn't, you know, she had like little boys, you know, bathing trunks on. Now, if she were a little child today, they'd be like, oh, you're a boy, let's let's cut off your boobs and then get you some some hormone blockers, right? I right. mean, it's just, it's just that that's what they'd be doing. It's like, wait a second, today she's a straight, feminine, beautiful, young, powerful woman in her own, you know, she has her own sense of power. And, and, and she wasn't needing to become a boy. Right. Uh, but 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 if that if she were a child today, that would be pushed onto her. And so, you know, it's it's the it's the job of adults to, to protect childhood. It is the jobs of uh, jobs of adults to uh, the job of adults to actually make sure that when there's a power imbalance, like with the school administration and teachers. Right. Or the school nurse and a child. We're there to protect them. They're instead going into the hands of these school administrators and they're being subjected to psychological warfare. Why? I don't know, because they're being paid, which now, of course, they're, 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 they're going to lose lunch funding if they don't push the transgender thing on children. It's like, you guys, this has nothing about childhood. This, this is all about usurping the souls and the sovereign being of each individual so that when they become adults, they won't know what's up or down. They won't know who the hell they are. They'll be easily programmable. And it will not be a pretty. It will not be a pretty society. It'll be a brave new world. <laughs> yeah. Uh <-huh. laughs> God, it's terrifying. <clears throat> so you know, people say, "What can we do?" Well, you know, we're telling people to vote. We've been telling people to vote, 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 vote. Um, you know, of course, I'm being censored, so a lot of people aren't getting that word. But we also have a long game for this campaign. This campaign was designed in such a way that it supersedes election cycles and politics. We're actually creating a cultural shift within California. And ultimately what we're gonna do is we are what's called a referendum state. The voters can actually put ballot initiatives out there. And we're gonna put out several ballot initiatives that serve that seven generation principle. And we're gonna bring it to the voters to vote upon. We're not taking to the legislators. They're not legislating for us. They're legislating for big money. But we're gonna put together our own referendums that's, that's gonna actually serve us in our future and, and where we, you know, the people who are actually, you know, California citizens right now. So we're not stopping. No matter the outcome of this election, we've built this campaign in a very different way that goes beyond, uh, beyond this election cycle. Well, good. So what's the plan if, uh, you know, the, like for the future <clears throat> after this election cycle, if, if uh, you know, if you don't win the government? Well, uh, we will be turning my campaign into a political pack. Um, and once we do that, we'll be getting on the road and building up momentum and having some different, uh, 
uh, task force up and down the state, you know, northern, central, and, and southern California, where we take the, the best pieces of my contract with Californians. One of them is expanding something called the Infrastructure Bank. It's California's public bank that nobody knows about. It's for infrastructure jobs. Uh, it's, it's, it's underutilized. It's just a, a uh, pet, you know, a little project of most... Uh, in a slush fund for elected officials, but we want to expand the charter to include uh, being available for you know mom and pop and Main Street businesses, uh, for you know manufacturing and and to expand it to 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 include regenerative farming, expanding regenerative farming, rebuilding our topsoil, and you will have a certain type of criteria that the more you check off the list, like. Uh, you know, making sure you, you know, have gray water systems, recycling your water, you know, uh, alternative energy, um, making sure that you have like more pollinator plants around your property, um, you know, things like that actually are really good for the environment. And the more you check off, the lower your interest rate. And that'll save us hundreds of millions of dollars a year that go to the big banks otherwise, or to Wall Street. We keep that money, you know, all that interest rate, but we also incentivize the seven generation principle and being kinder to the planet. We're not hitting people over the head. We're not codifying or legislating it. We're incentivizing it. And, and we have the ability to do that as a people and take it to the people for a vote. Well, I love that idea. And I think that your idea, I mean, you're, you're basically everything you said today would resonate with a lot of people. And that's why I'm guessing that you're not allowed to say that to too many, uh, <clears throat> to, the, to, the, to the corporate media out there. That's, that's like, right. Like you explained, is controlled by just a very few amount of people. That's right. That's right. No, because we have solutions. We've got everything. And they want to make darn sure that, that nobody actually hears, Californians actually do not hear from a real candidate who's got whatever it takes. So, and let me tell you, I knew that jumping in. I, I mean, we said from the get-go, people were asking a year ago, who's your biggest competitor? I said, it's not a person, it's a thing. It's censorship. It's going to be censorship. Granted, the censorship was far, far worse than I could ever imagine, but mm -hmm. that's, that is a, the biggest competition is the censorship. And, um, and we'll, we'll be sidestepping that as well. But that's, you know, it's like, again, we've got everything we need. We just don't have the leadership. Yeah. Well, we could certainly feel your pain on the censorship side of things. I say this in almost every podcast that we do, but we lost uh, nearly six in fans in 2018 when Facebook and Twitter both took us down on the same day within hours of each other. How, how many? How many? Nearly six million fans. Oh. Followers. Yeah. So, you know, it makes sense, though. And the more you think about it, the more they're not going to want to risk their trillion dollar machine. Right. They don't want right. the apparatus to ever be challenged. And you, you totally get it, Renette, you know, and this is probably a great place to kind of wrap things up here, but you get it. And mm -hmm. uh, there's not a lot of people who get it, especially in politics. And back in, I think it was, geez, around 2011 or so, I heard Alex Jones. Yeah, of course, Alex Jones, right? Uh, right. Take it for a grain of salt. But he, he said something that resonated with me. And I don't feel like it's a very complicated idea. Our government has been hijacked by corporate interests. That's right. That's and right. it doesn't take a genius to understand that. And no. I think that the COVID, if we were going to look at the silver lining of it, it, it did wake up a lot of people. There were a lot of people who said, wow, tyranny is home. Tyranny yeah. is hit home. Yep. And it can happen here. And so now they're kind of waking up and they've realized that there is a danger. So, you you know, you get it. You are the voice of California needs. Uh, you're a leader the country needs. And, uh, you know, we wish you the best of luck tomorrow. Uh, even if even if things don't go your way, I really hope you stay in this fight. And oh, yeah. however we however we could help with you know um, the the cultural shift, I guess, and the seven right. generations principles, uh, please let us know. 
And, and like you said, you know, the incentive over coercion, that's how we win hearts and minds, right? That's right. And, and I'll, I'll keep you guys posted because what we've been able to establish in the last six months is a remarkable base up and down the state of California. It's an incredible asset. And that is what COVID has provided us. So these people, all these volunteers we have, we've been having Zoom, volunteer Zoom meetings with them twice a week. They know our long game. They know our plan B. They're all in. They get it. Uh, you know, yeah, they'd love for me to win, but if not, they're not going to be disappointed. They know that maybe I'd be better serving California by not being the governor, governor, and just being focused on these these referendums. And so they know. And so we're so I would love to come back as we start to get this really firmed up. Love to come back and lay out the plan clearly for all of you to hear and for us to act upon. Definitely, definitely. And uh, Renette, can you tell everybody where they could find you and follow you and support sure. you? Sure, okay. sure. So you, I am on Instagram though; they have taken me down once. So I'm Renette Senem. 2.0 and Renette is R E I N E T T E. Renette, R E I N E T T E. Senum is S E N U M. Senum uh, 2.0 on Instagram. You can find me at electrenette.com. So elect and then R E I N E T T E. Electrenette.com. Um, and then I'm on Facebook, but Instagram is probably the best. I'm also on Twitter, Renette Senum. And yeah, and, and keep your ears and eyes open because we're we're bound to determine, and I'm sure what's going to happen is the outcome of this election is going to be pretty depressing for people. And what we're going to do is we're going to say, okay, we've exhausted that avenue. Now what are we gonna, now what are we going to do? You know, so let's go do it. Let's go build a referendum and let's take the power back and put it back into the people's hands. Here, here. Thank you, Renette. <laughs> really appreciate you coming on today, and um, we're gonna we're gonna push this out there. Try to get you the support that you certainly need. Well, tell, tell everyone to tell 10 people to tell 10 people to tell 10 people. Definitely. We're, we're expecting 15 million not to vote tomorrow. And uh, if 15 million people voted, that'd be a game changer. For sure. I wish we could reach 15 million people. I like know, right? <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. You guys are awesome. Keep up your great work. I really admire you. Thank, Thank you, Matt. you, Renette. All right. Bye, All right, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.